Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, We are still in the midst of this period where we have slowed down a little bit and Uh, It is a perfect time to dig into some powerful books that are coming out, and especially to do a lot of the work inside that we are here to do at this time, to discover our longings, to discover our largeness within, to discover the voices and the stories that reside inside of us. And my guest today is a woman who certainly knows how to present characters that illustrate those particular qualities. Sue Monk Kidd debuted The Secret Life of Bees, spent more than 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and has sold more than 6 million copies in the U.S. She was turned into an award-winning major motion picture and a musical, and has been translated into 36 languages. Her second novel, The Mermaid Chair, was a number one New York Times bestseller and was adapted into a television movie. In the third novel, The Invention of Wings and Oprah's Book Club 2.0 Pick was also a number one best times, New York Times bestseller. She is the author of the acclaimed memoirs, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, a groundbreaking work on religion and feminism, and the New York Times bestselling Traveling with Pomegranates, written with her daughter, Anne Kid Taylor. Uh, I'm delighted to have her on with the release of her new book. It released April 21st, The Book of Longings. And in Sue Monk Kid's style, it is rich and beautiful, and you fall in love with the characters, and you're whisked off into another land where the world disappears. And so I would like to uh, let you know that this particular book really approaches a topic that has us stretch our minds and our imaginations. What would the world be different? What would the world be like, and would it be different if Jesus had had a wife who had been part of the story? Imagine that. Would Western culture and Christianity have evolved somewhat differently? Would women and our stories have found more inclusion and equality? Well, the Book of Longings invites readers to contemplate these questions and reconsider the story that we've bought into and that we thought we always knew. And so we get to dive into Sumunk Kids Land and explore Anna and all that she presents throughout the Book of Longings. Welcome, Sue, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I want to start, before we actually dive into the book, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, all of your books from the standpoint you you tend to write uh, about women. You connect spirituality to your writing there is kind of a thread that goes throughout all of them. And I want to ask you what that thread, what longing that thread feeds within you. Well, I think writers tend to um, follow some need in themselves. I don't know why it is that we maybe write the same themes over and over again, but I certainly do that. And I tend to write about gender and race, 
and there is a spiritual thread that runs through all my books, and that is probably, all of those things are probably because they're part of my worldview, and they're part of who I am. Um, my feeling has always been that to write is to have a conversation with our soul. I mean, that's in the most uh, idealistic way I can put it. It doesn't always work out that way when you're actually writing. But I, I like to think that this is the highest form of writing, just to have a very deep conversation with our own soul and what is going on there. And that brings a kind of authenticity to the work, I believe. But more than that, um, if we can accomplish that, it brings some depth to the work. And um, it's always t- um, tinged with our worldview or how we relate to the world, I should say. So I think it comes organically, and um, it's just, you know, who I am and what I want to uh, say to the world. You know, I don't believe that there's any coincidences. I think everything is in divine timing, and it shows up to become part of our tapestry of life. And if we look at where we are right now in this country both um, in regard to the health and well-being of of individuals politically, religiously, and in the scope of of how we as women, uh, the voices are rising up. Why do you think this book has come at this time? Because you've had this idea kind of meandering in your spirit for a while. I think it was the time for this book, yes. Fifteen years ago, this idea actually occurred to me. But I was not ready to write the book then. Um, I wasn't. I'm not sure the world was ready to hear the book then. And I think there is a timing to things that's kind of out of my hands. Um, It seems like in the last year or so, there has been a, a rise of women's voices, and not just the rise of them, but the need for them. And so this book somehow coincided with that. I had uh, someone tell me, she was actually the publisher of the French edition of this book that's coming out. She said, this is the most contemporary modern book I have read this year, and yet it's set in the first century. How is that possible? And it sort of uh, surprised me that she said that. And yet, what we want uh, as writers of historical fiction is for it to be relevant. We want our stories to impact right now. And I see women all around us now wanting to voice their their true selves to make a difference in the world, to find their inner, I call it largeness in the novel, or my character does. But we could even refer to that as our particular genius. And we all have a particular genius, a kind of largeness about us. And perhaps what women are about now is is, um, tapping that and expressing that, bringing it forth. And I think that that is going to be a great balancing in our world. And, I mean, we, we really need the voices of women right now. And the book is very much about that. It's about bringing forth those voices, finding our largeness. And that, that is, in my mind, a real spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that when you write a book, you usually start with two questions. You ask yourself, who is my character? 
and what does my character want? So I want to start right there. Who is this character and what does she want? Well, the character is Anna. And I remember very well the day she appeared to me in my imagination. Um, the, the idea for this book resurfaced 15 years after the first time it sort of flitted through my head and then disappeared. But when it returned so many years later, that was in, it was in 2014, um, I was gripped by it. And I could see her in that moment, and I pictured her rather, um, and I, her, her name actually came to me. Her name is Anna. And I became very um, captivated by the possibility of her. So I had to imagine who she was. And, I, and if she was going to be the wife of Jesus, which was the premise of the novel, then I knew she had to have a certain magnitude, a certain... Um, powerful presence and passion she couldn't be just a you know a kind of shy wallflower so I gave her a brilliance a kind of um, unusual giftedness and abilities to write and to think philosophically and to think deeply and she also had a fierceness about her. She was, she is bold, and she's um, rebellious. Um, she's very daring, and um, in her way. And that was required for her too to even be able to be herself in this uh, world at the time, which is the history of men, basically. So um, I would say that she is a very gifted, brilliant, ahead-of-her-time young woman um, who is very daring and rebellious. And she, she grew up in the household where her father, uh, he, he was wise, but yet these gifts that you gave her and this ability to write and this philosophical quality of her... He would often say, you know, this is something that was reserved for boys, and there was a little boy out there that got you got what they were supposed to get. So it really does depict this kind of misfit quality to, to wanting to own this and yet feeling incredibly different and, in, and standing out in, in quite a huge way. Exactly. Um, I, I should mention that she is belongs to a very uh, wealthy, prominent family that has ties to the Tetrarch of Galilee, Herod Antipas. And she um, longs to be a scribe like her father. But she does feel like a misfit, and she, she grows up feeling um, different and alone and kind of um, almost a pariah in some ways because she is so unusual and different than so many of the girls and women around her. One of the one of my most favorite lines in your book uh, is where uh, where you're writing about her aunt who was also educated, um, not like her mother. And, and the line was, her mind was an immense feral country that spilled its borders. She trespassed everywhere. And even in that, like there's this sense of um, this air of these women hold this, but yet it, it, throughout the book it felt like other women wished or wanted 
that as much as they feared it. Yes, I love that that particular line um, was a favorite of yours because it is hands down my most favorite line in the novel. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed writing it, and um, I think trespassing women are somehow necessary, uh, as in it's necessary sometimes to be subversive in how we go about things or to trespass into areas that have been denied us or to speak out in ways that have been limited or marginalized for us. So that her aunt, Yalta, is her lifeline. Um, I don't know what Anna would do without her. So they have a very profound alliance and she's a mentor to her. She's kind of a midwife to her. She encourages her audacities, they call it. And she is just sustaining to her niece because she's very like Anna. And one another line that I enjoyed writing so much was, Yalta says, my largeness has been to bless your largeness. Mm-hmm. So that says a lot about the kind of relationship that they had together. Uh, in regard to that largeness, uh, it, it was something that they they held, but yet it was also something in certain places was held back. What about that conflict that's internal, that, that wants to express it, but yet also wants to hold it back? Well, don't we all know that? You know, we've... How how many people or women particularly have not um, experienced that? I know I have. When I first wanted to um, write, I have a lot in common with Anna, by the way. <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to write as she did, and I had a deep longing to do that. I didn't have an aunt Yalta, unfortunately, and we we tend to ter- internalize our doubts and our feelings that we're not capable, and I did that. You know, I wondered if I could do it. I was plagued with a lot of doubts. Um, That's kind of normal. It's when those doubts just become so loud inside of us that we're crippled creatively that it is really painful and a problem. Now, Anna, of course, needed that um, encouragement, too, because she felt kind of different, as we were saying, and not not accepted by others, just kind of out of the mainstream of how, what was expected of women and girls at the time. Um, and yet, I think she had to um, honor this longing, this need in herself, uh, which is what my character wanted, by the way. It was to um, express the fullness of herself. I am Anna. I was the wife of Jesus, Ben Joseph of Nazareth. I called him beloved, and he, laughing, called me little thunder. He said he heard rumblings inside me when I slept, a sound like thunder far from over the Nahal Zippuri Valley, or even farther beyond the Jordan. I don't doubt he heard something. All my life, longings lived inside me, rising up like nocturnes to wail and sing through the night, that my husband bent his heart to mine, on our thin straw mat and listened was the kindness I most loved in him. What he heard was my life begging to be born. This is from the book of longings by Sue Monk Kidd. You can find out more about 
the book and some upcoming online events uh, at her website, suemonkkid.com. And we will be right back after these messages for more about the Book of Longings. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. My guest today is Sue Monk Kidd, and we are talking about the Book of Longings. And before we dive back into that, I want to mention that the 1111 magazine is up and out. The next edition is, and you are more than welcome to access that on the website. The issues are always free. The archives are sitting there, and you are introduced to brand new people each and every issue that can uplift and inspire and support you in your own personal and spiritual expansion. So I invite you to dive into those and discover many beautiful voices that are across this world that are sharing their gifts. In addition, you will see some pieces of mine that are in there that support with forgiveness, with uh, intention, with loving yourself, and with dealing with different emotions. It's a perfect piece to access right now while we are all in our different abodes, seeking more of our internal home as we discover all the thoughts that race through our minds 
My guest today has just released her book, The Book of Longings. It is the novel that Sumant Kid was born to write, a powerfully imagined, beautifully composed, fully realized story of a young woman who realizes her passion and potential against great odds. In a voice that is assured and intoxicating, this novel takes up many of the signature themes of Sue's fiction, feminism, the bonds between women, the search for self, and the quest for one's voice and purpose in life. In particular, the Book of Longings explores the longings and largeness within women, addresses the importance of women's stories and voices, and encourages you to grapple with the inherent sexism in society and Western religion. How would the world be different if Jesus had had a wife who had been part of the story? Welcome back, Sue. You know, that's such a huge question when we look at things. To even come up with the thought of of Jesus having a wife is kind of, well, probably, you know, at, at some point would have been considered blasphemous. <laughs> and so here's this this thought of, of, of this whole storyline, this whole saga that could have unfolded uh, in, in present times completely different. How would it have changed things? How would we be different today? That question was riveting to me, actually, when it occurred to me. I, I wrote it down on a card and propped it on my desk, and I thought about it a lot because I was convinced, and I am convinced, that the world would be different um, if that had occurred. For one thing, I think um, we would we probably wouldn't have celibacy in the priesthood uh, if that if Jesus had had a wife, and perhaps we would not have this breach between um, sexuality and spirituality that has permeated so much of Western religion. I think that um, there is an uncomfortableness with all of that, and oddly. When you think about it, one of the highest virtues in Christianity is virginity in both men and women. And so I don't think it would have evolved quite that way. But the one that, uh, the reason that really um, is very important to me is how it would have affected the limitations and freedom, lack of freedoms that we have put on women. I think we would women would probably have been more included, not quite so marginalized. I think they would have been able to move to the center more, to have more voice in the world, and just to be a larger part of things uh, than they were, because they really were um, kind of shut out. And my character, Anna, um, has a moment in the novel in which... This dawns on her, and there's always a moment, really, in the lives of girls. Um, sometimes they're 12 or 13 or 14, when it dawns on them that um, the world is not exactly arranged in their favor, um, and especially this was true, of course, in the first century. It was magnified a great deal, and Anna has this moment when she is in Jerusalem, in the temple courts, and she's in the court of women, and she watches her brother and her father continue on into the inner sanctum of the um, temple where they kept the so-called Holy of Holies, 
And her mother says, no, you can't go, because she attempts to follow them, and she learns that it's because she's female. And there are just numerous instances that Anna will collide with in the story to have this brought home to her, and it's a source of great um, loss and pain for her. Yes, it does feel like the issues that we have grappled with today had that been the case then, she, the women of that time would have grappled with them that we would have been advanced. And I think it also appears, even in her relationship with Jesus, they have this really loving, spiritually loving relationship where they uphold each other's largeness. But yet there are these places where it is uh, intensely human, where you've made both characters really human, and Jesus comes across as very human. And there is that that limitation of not stepping out of place or as a woman not fully expressing in the way that that internally she wants to express. Talk a little bit about the humanity that you placed uh, both on Jesus and in portraying Anna. Well, that was an important piece for me to be able to portray Jesus as, as a human being. I mean... The doctrines of the Christian Church certainly say he was fully human and also fully divine. And it took a while, like I, I, several, maybe it was two or three hundred years before that was settled as a doctrine officially adopted into the Church. But I wanted to write from the perspective of a novelist, of a storyteller who is imagining an alternate history which is essentially what this story is. This is the ultimate what if, (laughs) I think. At least it was for me. And Jesus, I mean, how in the world do you portray the character of Jesus? It was very um, daunting for me. I knew that I wanted to do it in a reverent way, but we are so... um, trained to think of Jesus as divine, that we have almost lost his amazing humanity. I read um, a lot of the historical Jesus scholarship in preparing for this, which really uh, emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. And I remember reading Marcus Borg's book, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time, which is a remarkable um, short book. And in it, he talks about the pre-Easter Jesus and the post-Easter Jesus. And that was very clarifying for me. And I thought, oh, yes, I want to write about the pre-Easter Jesus, um, the human Jesus. That's very inspiring to me. And I wanted... I wanted my readers to rediscover that again. And so I tried to bring that to him um, and also to their, the relationship he has with Anna. Um, you know, the other thing I'll say is that this story t- largely takes place in those so-called lost years of Jesus, in that mm-hmm. lacuna, between the time he was 12 years old and around the time he was 30 when he launched his public ministry and we have a scriptural record. And there's no record in the in-between years. And so I took full advantage of that, I guess you'd say. And, you know, my thought was 
somewhere along the line, he might have been married in those years. And this I wanted this relationship to be what I thought of as a great love story. And I tried to do that. And I wanted to show the humanity in it, the, the conflict. They had conflict. They had joy. But they were essentially very committed and happy, I think, together, um, though there were tensions in the relationship, which seemed to me a fully human experience. Yes, yeah, the the tension, I think, does make it human, and yet it was not so much his constraint upon her, but the social norm that existed overall mm-hmm. as to what that's, women yeah, could do right. could not yes. do. Yes, that's exactly right. It was um, more from his family, from the culture around them, and from the religious um, requirements somehow. and. It put them in a very conflicted and difficult place to work that out. Well, she really was the ideal partner for him because when you think about Jesus and the ideas that come through him and, and the way of being that he was, he would he would be inspired by a woman that was philosophical. He would be um, amused and 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 enjoy a woman that was a bit feisty and. She just seems like the perfect partner for him. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I wanted that to be the case, and I wanted them to learn from each other. Um, he, they meet when she is 14 and he is 18. And they, I mean, the novel covers a great span of time, but many years, but I think that Together, they learned and grew and evolved together. And I wanted, I wanted him to learn from his mother, uh, who is a character in this book, Mary, and to learn from his wife as well. And they, vice versa, they learned from him. So it was a mutual, teachable experience for them as they grew together. Now, one thing that you do in all of your books is is you do tend to write about uh, either a sisterhood or a collective of women that surrounds the character or unfolding many different archetypes uh, that come through. And in this, when you do write about Mary and you do you know, have the character of her own mother depicted very differently and, and how all of the different women, her, her aunt... Um, really support Anna in different ways. Talk a little bit about sisterhood and how we as women come together, whether it is in that mode of support that uplifts us or sometimes that mode of antagonism that helps to boost us forward just out of the resistance. I can't seem to write a novel without this element. You are exactly right. Um, It just creeps in every time, and I think it is because... I have my own little sisterhood of friends, and I don't know what I'd do without them. Um, I think I, I read somewhere that um, women friends are really our mental health, um, our best mental health therapist. And in many ways, that was true for Anna in this book. I mean, she had her Aunt Yalta, which we've talked about, but she also had other women around her. Um, a friend called Tabitha, the wife of Herod Antipas, Vasily, 
um, a woman that she will meet in Egypt who becomes extremely important to her, who is her cousin. Uh, there is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome, the wife, um, I mean the sister of Jesus. So all of these women um, form a kind of um, hive, in a way, uh, a collective, as you called it, of women who support one another. Now, to balance this out, of course, there are there is a particular character in this story who is antagonistic toward Anna and who represents the that aspect of um, that we call negative friendship, I guess. I mean, there is that, and we have to be realistic about it. Not all women's relationships are beautiful and supportive. Um, and these were the, the sister-in-laws of Jesus' brothers who gave her a rather hard time. And her mother was not particularly supportive. So we see the evolving of this little group of women who come together around her as supportive friends and the sisterhood. And it does grow toward the end of the book in which it then transforms into what I would call a family. Unlike my mother, unlike every woman I knew, my aunt was educated Her mind was an immense feral country that spilled its borders. She trespassed everywhere. She had come to us from Alexandria four months ago for reasons of which no one would speak. I'd not known my father had a sister until she'd appeared one day dressed in a plain undyed tunic, her body erect with pride, eyes glowing. My father didn't embrace her, nor did my mother. They gave her a servant's room that opened onto the upper courtyard, and they ignored my interrogations. Yalta, too, avoided my questions. Your father made me swear not to speak of my past. He would rather you think I dropped from the sky in a manner of bird shit. This is from the book, The Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd. It is just released, and I invite you to get your copy now. She is the author of The Secret Life of Bees, um, as well as The Invention of Wings, The Mermaid's Chair, The Dissident Daughter, Uh, So many beautiful books, and this is her latest. You can find out more about her at SueMonkKid.com, and she will be doing some online events that are upcoming, so definitely register on her website, and be sure to get your copy of The Book of Longings right away. We'll be right back after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. 
Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Sue Monk Kidd, and we are talking about her latest release. It just released yesterday. It is the Book of Longings. I invite you to get your copy now. Uh, It is a beautiful book that portrays the life of Jesus had he had a wife. And Anna is a really beautiful textural character that you will love getting to know. Her fieriness, her feistiness, her depth, her philosophy, all of the different aspects that she is. I'm going to read a short passage from the Book of Longings. She reached into the chest and pulled out parchments and scrolls. Not long before she arrived, I'd begun writing down the stories of the matriarchs in the scriptures. Listening to the rabbis, one would have thought the only figures worth mention in the whole history were Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. David, Saul, Solomon, Moses, Moses, Moses. When I was finally able to read the scriptures for myself, I discovered there were women. There's some beautiful passages throughout this book and a way for you to deepen into uh, your own questions and longings and thoughts of what would the world be like, especially what would the world be like for women. Sue, as as you moved through creating this story, there were times where uh, you got catalyzed by certain things, and and one of those things happened to be an incantation bowl, and you actually use that in the story. Uh, Anna has her own incantation bowl, and I think there was a couple of other times where it really helped you to develop the novel in a way that was so much deeper. Will you tell a little bit about the research process of of unfolding all of this for you, and then also how these certain little pieces that showed up in your life really uh, helped to enrich you to create the character and the story that unfolded? The research was enormous. I had no idea what I was getting into when I started this. It took me about a year of research before I even wrote the first word of this book. And 
it continued on as I was writing. Um, I, I needed to know every um, tree that bloomed in Galilee and what they ate and where they ate it and what grew and what the weather was like. And I mean, it went on and on, the political background, the religious and cultural background. I was really kind of overwhelmed for a while with everything I really needed to figure out and know. So I filled notebooks for a year and read a lot of books and watched a lot of documentaries and, you know, just did my best to soak all of this in. Um, so it was it was a prolific kind of um, study that I tried to do. But in the midst of doing that, sometimes you you stumble upon something unexpected that will take the novel in a new direction or or bring it to life somehow for the story to life and that was true one day when i was in i was researching something on the internet and you know how it is when you start following one link after another and you find yourself somewhere you know have any idea how you got to this place, you've just chased a rabbit down the rabbit hole, and suddenly I'm looking at the screen, and there are all these incantation bowls there, images of them, that date back to some of them of 1000 BCE. And these bowls in the first century were, I mean, they, they are in amazing intact shape, and inside of them is are in a spiraling way is written prayers and incantations and sometimes curses. And I thought, I sat back in my chair and looked at those and I thought, Anna must have one of these incantation bowls. And I, I kind of knew right then that it would become a central icon in the story, that it would hold her longings, that what she would write in this bowl would be her deepest um, longing, her deepest prayer. And one of the things that she, one of the lines, I think the closing line that she writes in the bowl is, when I am dust, sing these words over my bones, she was a voice. And of course, that's what lies at the bottom of her heart is to have a voice in the world, to have her life matter. And that is a big reoccurring theme for me. And I was just so uh, excited to have this tangible bowl that the, the reader could um, visualize to hold and represent her longing. And it will move throughout the entire story with her. That it, it does portray almost like a talisman, something that the reader can carry along and even well past the story as they move through their life as a woman to think, oh, I have my own bowl, or whether it's in the heart or whether it's an actual physical structure, that my longing can be placed here as well. In addition to the fact that Anna's longing, it's deeply the longing probably of all of us. We want our lives to matter. We want to be able to leave something that has illustrated the memory of us having been here. Yes, and Anna, I think, represents in many ways a lot of women. There is something um, universal about her 
I see myself in her. I see so many women in her, and I think we all have a, an incantation bowl of some kind. It may be metaphoric, and we probably all need one of those to help us focus what it is that we want to bring forth in, in the world. The other thing I really love about this book is not just the development of this character that, that never existed as Anna, but the fact that we get to know other aspects of Jesus's life um, in, in ways that we don't have those stories either. And one of those is Mary. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about Mary and what it was like to develop her voice and character in the story from this perspective. Well, you know, it, it, it was intimidating, as I said, to try to write the character of Jesus, and it was slightly less intimidating to write the, the character of Mary. I mean, I'm vividly aware as I'm writing this that, I mean, not only is, you know, Jesus this profound religious figure for billions of people, but Mary, too, functions in a way that holds enormous spiritual power for people. And I didn't want to mess that up, you know. I wanted to be able to say, let me show you the other side, this human side that they had to have to be in the world. So Mary is pretty special to me, actually. Um, I wrote about my discovery and relationship to her in in the memoir you mentioned that I co-authored with my daughter, Ann Kid Taylor. And I found her through the Black Madonnas. And over my desk right now, I'm looking at this painting of a Black Madonna who presides in my study. And I think of as a kind of, um, well, a spiritual presence, but also uh, a muse. I mean, she's just uh, a very archetypal kind of figure that um, has inspired me. So when I wrote the novel, I was writing the other side of her, which is, you know, the woman with gray hair in the story. She, she kind of ages, and she does her chores, but she's, she's wise. And um, I just loved being able to portray this side of her. Mm-hmm. I love that. I also loved the, the, the fact that you brought story to uh, Judas and his betrayal and, and, and who he was related to and how. Talk a little bit about his character in the novel. I guess I wanted to portray his humanity, too, and make him not quite so black and white in how we look at him and judge him. I mean, he is the great villain of human history. He's the betrayer. And we only have one way to think of him, and that is with um, not hatred, but maybe revulsion or something. We think of him as just the evil betrayer. But what if it wasn't quite like that? And the words, what if, of course, drive novelist. And I tried to imagine what if he had some reasons, as flawed as they might be, for what he did. And what could we get to know him, and could we be kind of ambivalent about how we feel about him? Could we see both sides of him? And 
um, so I made him Anna's um, adopted brother, and I gave him a very political motivation, and he gets caught up in a very exaggerated way with the politics of um, the Ro- of resisting the Romans to the point that he is willing to sacrifice his friend. So yes, um, I tried to show um, how he came to do what he did and have us feel a little bit sorry for him. Hmm. Hmm. I love I love how you've done the entire book and. Uh, it's really fascinating to me that your first two books were memoirs, and and then you shifted into fiction. How how was how is that transition in? And is it is it really still the same kind of writing? But it is you're coming through characters now, as opposed to specifically writing about yourself. Um, pretty much, I suppose. I think the the big difference for me was the enormous, almost overwhelming freedom you have suddenly to tell a story. The possibilities just exploded. Uh, I had written nonfiction for many years, but in the back of my mind, I, I had hoped one day to write fiction. And in my 40s, that idea surfaced, and I began to you know try to develop my voice and learn the craft of writing fiction. And it it was a long process to do that. Um, but I think when we, do, when we take on some completely new venture like that, it's very scary. <laughs> and it was for me, you know, to take another daring leap. And um, I have said many times that writing is really just an act of courage in many ways. I mean, we have to have something to say, and we have to have some ability to say it or to write it, but um, the biggest need for most writers is just the courage to say it at all. And so making the transition from nonfiction to fiction was sort of like that for me. And then you, you take the lead, and then you get over it, and then you wonder what took you so long or why you were so afraid of it. Um, I think that um, writing nonfiction is about, I like to write it as story. It's always been story that drives me and that I love. But when you start telling a story, um, as in this one in a novel, your range is, for your imagination is, is so big that it's almost too much. <laughs> you know, I sit there a lot of times and there's so many possibilities, I don't know which one to take. But I love writing both. I, I do. I, w- I will probably write more nonfiction, more memoir. Joe Dispenza says that there's no difference between imagination and what is real. And with that being the case, with each of the books that you've written, The Secret Life of Bees, The Mermaid Chair, The Dissident, Dance of the Dissident Daughter, uh, The Invention of Wings, um, with all of them, did something different come out of you? Did you grow in a different way with each one, and how did you grow differently with the Book of Longings? What a fascinating question that I've never been asked. Wow. Um, I suppose that when I write a novel, um, there is some very deep need in me that it 
that is reaching toward wholeness. Now, I tend to believe (laughs) that writers essentially, not all writers, but those who are writing really authentically with that conversation of the soul I was mentioning, when we do that, we really are writing with a need to make ourselves whole. So we're getting something out of this. Now, I think this is a very um, probably controversial idea I have, but I really feel like... um, it is um, repairing something in us that needs repairing, or it is helping us recover something that needs recovering. For whatever reason, um, I think it serves the purpose of wholeness in us. Now, I know that sounds very abstract and maybe a little over the top, but um, I sense there is truth in that. So when I was writing, the Secret Life of Bees. I think I was focusing on and articulating how I felt about this Black Madonna, for instance. I was probably, I don't know all of these things for sure, I'm kind of guessing because this is such an um, unusual idea I've got here, I guess. I was probably trying to articulate and express my understandings and fears and feelings about race, Um, just so many things that I needed to voice. I was cultivating a lot of braveness in myself. And then when I wrote um, The Mermaid Chair, it was a lot about, that was a very feminist book, and it was really a lot more complicated than even The Secret Life of Bees, because my character was searching for a way to belong to herself at midlife and in a marriage that wasn't working for her. I was probably trying to work something out like that in myself of how to belong to myself in a deeper way. Who knows? I just mm. suspect, I suspect things like that might be uh, going on. Um, thank you, I Sue. I, to- we, are, we are closing out on the show, and they're telling me that it is time, so I want to let people know that they just need to go out and get the Book of Longings, and they need to read it and feel your heart and spirit through it. Uh, feel Anna as you move through this book. My guest next week is Amy Zerner and Monty Farber, and we will dive into their new creative tarot. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.